1: gentle little pet that will capture your heart. And one of the country's leading shelters is branching out to work with shelters and rescues throughout the nation. That's what's on our show this week. Let's get started.
0: Hey, do you hear that? What is that? It's the bark heard round the world. The Doggie Diva Show. Here's national award-winning author and animal advocate, Susan Marie
1: Hi, welcome to the Doggy Diva show, the show for animal lovers. I'm your host Susan Marie, and as always, I'm joined by my canine co-hosts, the Doggy Divas themselves, Francesca, Coco, and our newest little diva, Miss Olive. Miss Olive is the cute little Italian Greyhound rescue in the picture with the microphone. Thank you for joining us today as we bring the experts in the pet and animal world right to you. Email us at doggydiva show at aol.com. That's D O G G Y D I V A show at aol.com. We love hearing from you. So go grab a cup of coffee and your pet's favorite treat, and we'll be back in just a moment.
2: Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite is nutrition. Pick up two bottles of Lico chops Get the third bottle free. New improved Lico chops with omega-3, omega-6, vitamin E. And now, six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try Lico chops Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com.
3: D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Oh.
0: Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com
1: Monica, there's a little, little bitty pet that I think is so sweet, and I know you have one, and it's a perfect pet, I think, for kids, and they're just so adorable, and I don't think people know enough about them. How about if we talk about hedgehogs?
2: Yes, we have a hedgehog. Her name is Chocolate Bar. That's what my daughter named her. Chocolate Bar was a Christmas present from Santa. And it was actually about four years ago now. And I just thought it was... The Honest Little Request, because she had been online and saw these cute YouTube videos of these adorable little hedgehogs floating in the little tub of water and wearing little, you know, shark fins and little outfits. And she's like, Mom, Mom. And she went to go see Santa, and she's like, I want a hedgehog. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help me now. (laughs) But I tell you, it has been one of the coolest little pets, so... When my daughter started requesting this pet, of course, I went online and started kind of educating myself because, you know, even though I've worked for a veterinary office for years, we do not see exotic pets and hedgehogs are technically considered an exotic pet. So, you know, the veterinary I work for, you know, he, you know, with Dr. Reinhardt knew about hedgehogs. He had had basic care instructions, but we don't see a lot of them here. So went through, did some research and we got a hedgehog. Um, one thing that, you know, people always ask when it comes to hedgehogs is, you know, do you pet them? Are they friendly? You know, they see all the quills and they get a kind of overwhelmed. And, you know, are, do they even make a pet or are they social? And the answer is yes. They are extremely great pets. And believe it or not, they're great pets for kids. It's a great pet to kind of learn um, how to care for pets. They are very affectionate. Even, you know, being, you know, in this little protective shell surrounded by quills, they're still very, very sweet, affectionate animals. One thing about hedgehogs is... Their sight is not the best, but they have a very, very keen sense of smell. And a lot of times they adapt through smells. So when we first got the hedgehog before we, um, you know, let my daughter see it or interact with it, I actually put one of her shirts that she had worn in the cage with the hedgehog and kind of got her used to her scent. And hedgehogs will attract and kind of bond with people over scents. They get to know the scent of your skin and the scent of your clothing and just the scent of you. And that kind of puts them at ease when it's that familiar scent and that familiar surrounding. And when you first handle hedgehogs, they they do get scared and they, you know, kind of curl up in their ball and they'll actually kind of puff is what they call it. And it's kind of their defense mechanism. So if they get scared, they'll just kind of And it's just like this kind of airy kind of sound. It's very, very, you know, low and quiet. They don't growl or chirp or, you know, make a lot of noises. It's just kind of the the huff, you know, kind of a small little huff puff that they give off and they curl up in the ball. And that kind of, you know, the kind of jumping effect is what, you know, wards off predators and they have their quills to kind of, you know, give themselves a defense mechanism.
1: Monica, can you tell us a little bit about what they eat? And I think another thing is the size. I don't think people know how big, how little they are, really.
2: They are. They do stay pretty little, too. Now hedgehogs can kind of be known for getting obese so you do have to kind of control how much they eat make sure they don't get too fat however they stay pretty small they're smaller than guinea pigs you know usually about you know the gerbil hamster size if they do not get you know they're not going to get any taller they can always get rounder you know same with our you know other furry animals um, one thing that's really important too about hedgehogs is their legs. That's where you get the most injuries in hedgehogs. They have in their mass of their body size compared to their little tiny legs. That's where they get in trouble. So having an exer-saucer, because they're very big into exercise, having an exer-saucer that has no wires, no nothing that their feet can slide in between. So when you get their cage and their bedding and their house all set up, you want to have one of those flat or solid plastic exer-saucers. And they have these ones for hedgehogs that are actually... It, it looks like a little spaceship. Like it's a round circle, but instead of being an exer saucer that is tall that goes on the side of the cage, this one actually has the base on the bottom and the whole top of it's open. So it's a little circle that's made of plastic and they just get on there and they run and it spins around in a little circle. And it looks super cute. <laughs> <laughs> one thing about hedgehogs too is, um, you know, how you, how you have their housing is really Sometimes it's not as difficult as it seems. You know, you think you're going to have, you know, rabbit bedding or something like that in there. Some of like the, the carefresh stuff, you know, with the plastic shavings or with shavings. Hedgehogs are very easily potty trained. My hedgehog is potty trained. Took about a month. One of the best tips that I saw on a hedgehog site was that when the hedgehog exercises and they love to exercise, they're always on that wheel of night. And one thing a lot of people, you know, to be aware of hedgehogs is they're nocturnal. So they sleep during the day, they're up at night. And generally, like 6, 7 o'clock, our hedgehog starts getting up, it starts eating. But by 9 or 10, that thing is crazy on that treadmill, loves it. And she gets on there and they they go to the bathroom when they exercise. So what I did was... I took an extra litter box and I got a larger size one, not like the hamster size, but I got like the rabbit iguana size. So the little exer saucer that they exercise on can go inside the litter box. Mm. So I put the litter in there and I just use like the recycled paper pellet litter. It's all natural. They can't eat it. You don't want to use like a corn cob litter or a clay litter with them because sometimes they will eat the litter. So I always use like this, uh, you know, recycled paper pellets with them, put the exer saucer in there. So whenever they went on the exer saucer, it would fly off into the litter box and then it would smell the litter in there. And the, the size litter box that I have is big enough for the exer saucer and then also for her to climb in and out of and have a little space. So she gets in, she has enough room to walk to the exer saucer, but she also has enough room to go to the bathroom in there as well so when you know the droppings come off the exercise, saucer she was smelling it and she was going back in and going in the same spot because that's what they do they'll identify spots and then they continue going in the same spot took about maybe two three weeks of doing that and there was no more messes in the cage i mean it was so easy potty training this hedgehog and, I, I mean, I don't think I have, like, a genius hedgehog. I think they're all pretty, you know, <laughs> standard as far as that's concerned. Um, But it, it's a great little pet. And, I mean, we take it out. They should have baths on a regular basis, generally, like, once a month. We always bathe them in, like, the Aveeno oatmeal because they can get drier skin. And then besides that, we've got a little toothbrush. That's Chocolate Bar's toothbrush. <laughs> and we put her in the kitchen, you know, kitchen sink. And we put a little bit of warm water. And, you know, we just scrub her with the toothbrush. You know, it, it cleans off all of her little bristles and all of her quills. And, um, you know, they do really, really well that day um, that way. And, you know, in regards to diets, um, she eats a high-end um, cat diet. They make hedgehog diets um, as well, but they can absolutely eat cat food they love their mealworms. Love, love, love their mealworms. That is her favorite treat in the whole world. She will do anything and go anywhere for a mealworm. Um, some of them love a lot of extra stuff too. You know, berries, um, you know, lettuce, celery. Chocolate Bar likes the leaves that come off the celery sticks. So when we got celery at home, she always gets the stocky, leafy part that we throw away. And she loves that. She really likes spinach. She likes raspberries. So you can definitely, you know, give them little treats. Um, but they are really, really good pets. And the more with them, the friendlier they become the more you handle them. So if you have a hedgehog, you definitely want to handle it. And we're talking a daily basis. That is the one commitment that if you get a hedgehog, you have to be committed to doing. It has to have that personal touch, that scent, that smell on a regular basis because it's their schedules go very quickly. So let's say you handle it a ton and then all of a sudden for a week, nobody touches it. They can kind of revert back into being more seclusive and not being, not enjoying being handled when they're not handled on a regular basis so you always want to handle them on a regular basis and if they're not comfortable you know just picking them up you know without something you know like when Haley first got hers I just put little mittens on her hands so that way it was just you know a little layer of soft protection and you know she picked her up I always showed her you know just reach underneath her belly because their bellies are very very soft you know the other hand on the outside of the quills, so she felt protected and she was able to you know reach up she you know would carry it around in little blankets it'll run around the house um but it's great and it gets along great with uh, my cat is like her best friend and the cat uses the hedgehog as her brush so she quite frequently has cat hair in her quills because the cat brushes and rubs against her but they are wonderful
1: wonderful little pets that's so good to know, and the fact that it could be uh, potty trained is like absolutely amazing. And I think that they're the mo- they're the cutest little things. I uh, I met a hedgehog rescue, a little group before, and I met their hedgehogs, and they were like they're like little cats, or I mean, they're like little pets. They knew who they were. They were because recon- I'd had hamsters, gerbils, rabbits. You know, I've had all different things in my guinea pigs in my lifetime. But I'd never seen a hedgehog, and then when you got your hedgehog, it amazed me how they acclimate like a like a true pet. So um, I think it's a great idea. And I thank you for bringing that to us. I, I love the idea of the hedgehog in uh, in chocolate bar.
2: I know I mean like I said they're you know they're wonderful pets and they have the perfect schedule I mean kids are at school during the day that's when they sleep that's when they're nocturnal they get home in the evenings they can you know have that time together for a little while then they go to bed and the hedgehog kind of does its thing so it's a great starter pet and it's, it's really a great pet That if you're looking for a pet that is not extremely high maintenance, I mean, we're talking about spending, you know, just a couple minutes a night with the pet, you know, giving it some attention and having that interaction. Besides that, you know, it has its own toys. They love cardboard rolls. I mean, her favorite toy out of everything we buy are the end of the toilet paper rolls. And she'll, you know, stick her head in there and run around with the toilet paper roll on her face. But they're really wonderful pets and they're great starter pets.
1: Well, I thank you very much, and I hope that all of you learned a lot about hedgehogs because they're the cutest little things. Google them. I'm telling you, you're going to love them. Thanks, Monica. (laughs) Thank you. Have a great week. Hello, everyone. Miss Olive and Sophia the Doggy Diva want to thank you for your amazing response to their special book, Miss Olive Finds Her Forever Home. And they want to let you know that Miss Olive Finds Her Forever Home is now available in both hardcover and softcover. And that's at Amazon.com. As Miss Olive says, woohoo, yippee! Thank you, everyone. Coming up, how do adopted animals benefit our lives? Stay tuned. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food.
0: Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. dot c a t t r e e t r a y. dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. com.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Doggy Diva Show. Many of us see our pets as secure bases and safe havens and cherish our special bond with them. Carol Novello is the president of the Humane Society Silicon Valley and the founder of Mutual Rescue, a national initiative whose focus is on changing the conversation from people and animals to people with animals, with the goal of elevating the cause of animal welfare and the benefit of bonding with our animals. I am one of the million viewers who viewed those inspirational mutual rescue videos. And over the past few years, I have loved sharing with you, my listeners. That is why when I found out Carol had written a new book of all these and more stories about rescued pets, rescuing people, I had to let you all know right away. Mutual rescue is a truly amazing book full of inspiring real life stories Totally awesome on how companion animals can help relieve a range of troubles and the scientific research to prove it. We are so honored to have back with us Carol Novello to tell us all about Mutual Rescue and her new book, Mutual Rescue, How Adopting a Homeless Animal Can Save You Too. Welcome back, Carol, to the Dougie Diva Show.
3: Thank you, Susan. I am so delighted to be
1: back. Oh, I love the book, number one. I have to let you know that it's so inspiring and it's informational as well as just telling us all about a little bit more, opening up a little bit more about mutual rescue and all of the wonderful things that that is being done. But also it has a lot of information that helps people such as myself understand how special that bond is that you talk about.
3: I'm so glad that you enjoyed it, because one of the things that I really wanted to do with this book was blend both heart and head, Mm -hmm. and really appeal to the folks who already know and have experienced it, and the folks that might be a little bit skeptical. So blending those two things together, I think, is a powerful combination.
1: I'm so glad you did it, too, for me, because I have to explain a lot. Can you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
3: I have always had a love of animals, they've always been a part of my life and growing up I was the youngest by far of two older siblings and my parents were much older so I really grew up feeling like an only child even though I wasn't and so animals were my companions when I was growing up. So I always had a soft spot for them, they were a connection that I had with my mother and they were a source of connection for our family. So they've always been a part of my life, but I never honestly thought I would end up making it part of my career. So I had a varied career before I started running Humane Society of Silicon Valley. I spent a good portion of my career as a senior executive in high tech, and I had a great experience there. I learned a ton, but I found myself really wanting to do something different at a certain point, and I took some time off, and that ended up resulting in me, ultimately, serendipitously, mm-hmm. joining the board at Humane Society of Silicon Valley, which ultimately led to me running the organization. And from there, what was very interesting to me is that I was out raising money and talking to people. They would often say to me, why are you helping animals when you could be helping people? and that questioning is what ultimately led to the creation of mutual rescue because i wanted to change this conversation from people or animals to people and animals because what i wanted people to know and really understand is that animals aren't taking away from humanity's woes or humanity's problems they're they're actually helping to solve them
1: i have to explain that sometimes because i've been involved in animal rescue for 25 years now and people go, well, why aren't you doing it with people? And I go, no, you don't understand by rescuing animals, you're actually doing things for people and you, and that's why I love bringing the mutual rescue films to my listeners so that they understand and that they see. And so many of them do and appreciate what you do. Can you just let people know who may not be familiar with it? What is mutual rescue and how did it start?
3: So Mutual Rescue is a national initiative that we launched uh, out of Humane Society, Silicon Valley, with the goal of, again, changing the conversation from people or animals to people and animals. So how it started, as I mentioned, you know, people are asking that question, why are you helping animals when you could be helping people? And I started taking a presentation out into the community that talked about that. And subsequently, a board member introduced me to a creative producer, and I shared with him kind of this dilemma and really wanting to get people to understand the broader impact that animals uh, have on human lives. And he actually coined the phrase mutual rescue and said, you know what, I think we should make short films that really show both sides of the rescue story because so much you hear one or the other, but you don't get them combined. And so we made our first short film as an example of what we wanted to do and to do a call for stories to invite people to submit their stories to us so we could make more films. And our very first film was a story that I had been sharing out in the community in that presentation, which was Eric and Petey. Mm -hmm. So it was the story of Eric O'Gray, who was extremely overweight. And his doctor had told him that, you know, if he didn't change his lifestyle, he was going to be dead in five years. And, he didn't really know what to do with that. That doctor wasn't terribly helpful, but he had an experience uh, on an airplane where the flight was delayed because they didn't have a seatbelt extender that was big enough to fit him. And the gentleman next to him said, I'm going to miss my flight because you're too fat. Oh. And that scenario really, he hit Eric hit rock bottom, and then he reached out to um, a naturopathic doctor, and the first thing she recommended to him was to go adopt a shelter dog. And that was the turning point for Eric, and he ended up losing uh, all this weight. His life has been totally transformed, and I loved that story so much, I wanted to share it with the world. So that was the first Mutual Rescue film that we released, really just, again, wanting to do a call for stories, and we were overwhelmed with the response. We posed, It was picked up by Gate. they shared it on their Facebook page, and that one post alone on Gate. Had thirty-five million views.
1: I remember Eric and Petey. I mean, that was like a total. They're all very moving, but I remember when that one first came out. It was, and they're beautifully done.
3: Yeah, we have an amazing mm-hmm. uh, filmmaker uh, for- company that we work with. They focus specifically on uh, nonprofit causes, and they're very passionate about their work. So we have just an amazing partner with them.
1: What does Mutual Rescue, what role do they play in supporting the efforts of local animal shelters?
3: Well, one of the things that we wanted to do is help educate people that local humane societies are not chapters of the Humane Society of the United States. A lot of people think that that is the case when, in fact, Humane Society is actually a generic term for an animal welfare organization. And what we wanted to do was create more awareness around that so that we could inspire people to get engaged at the local level. So one of the things that we're doing is making it easier for shelters across the country to implement programs that help facilitate that connection between animals and humans. And one example is the Doggy Day Out program. So we didn't originate this program, but we did implement it at Humane Society of Silicon Valley, and it was so successful that we said, you know what, let's find out all of the best practices from shelters that are doing this across the country, create a toolkit and make it really easy for other shelters to download that toolkit and implement the program in their community. And what it is, is that basically people can come take a shelter dog out for an afternoon. So... It's a simple, low-barrier-to-participation way, helps the stress of both the animals and the humans, and creates some quality bonding time. And these dogs that are going out on Doggy Day Out, they're getting adopted more quickly because they now have somebody that actually is advocating for them, even if they are not able to adopt them.
1: You know, and I think that's such a wonderful program. I love the Doggy Day Out because there are some people who, for whatever reason, cannot commit to an adoption, cannot commit to fostering, but really want to do something that involves them with the animals and they want to be with the animals. So this is so perfect because it benefits the person and it benefits the animal. The animals are learning social skills and they're, you know, being out, taken out, and and you go through this in the book too. But I mean, I think it's such a wonderful, wonderful program, and and I know that different rescues and and shelters are picking it up throughout the country so.
3: Well it's exciting because what ends up happening is the shelters are getting more local exposure. Mm-hmm. The media seems to love Doggy Day out and what we <laughs> want to do is just create more opportunities for shelters who are in you know in the local communities. These are the shelters that are saving lives. they're on the front lines and they need support both in terms of time, money and people.
1: And it's, it's like a win-win. It's a win-win program. Now, with the Mutual Rescue book and, of course, the films, it focuses on people and animals and how they rescue each other. And we talked briefly about Eric and Petey. Can you just tell us some of the stories and the impact that they've had?
3: I think, gosh, you know, it's sometimes people will say, well, what's your favorite? And it's it. I really I don't have one because they're all so amazing and unique in their own way. I think one of the chapters in the book that was most surprising to me in terms of doing research and finding stories was actually on addiction, because addiction, uh, some of the research points to that addiction is really a disease about the lack of connection and looking to connect to something when you're not able to connect with yourself or with another living being. And we have an upcoming Mutual Rescue film that will be released uh, in upcoming months, the story is actually in the book. It's about a woman named Sarah, mm-hmm. who started out using um, at the well. They were prescribed to her by a doctor, uh, pain meds which were actually opiates, and she became addicted to them. And it ultimately led to her using heroin because the doctor that was prescribing her drugs lost his license and he'd been over prescribing and she was desperate. So she started using heroin and she hit rock bottom and went through uh, a treatment program, but she got out of treatment and she felt really unstable. And she's like, oh my gosh, I am so alone. I know I'm going to relapse if I don't, you know, find something to ground me and she ended up adopting an animal from an abusive home and she really credits this animal with keeping her alive and she you know realized that she needed to take care of herself so she could take care of her dog domino and i think what is so amazing to me in the power of animals in a situation like addiction is that they help draw love in to a person so that ultimately they are then able to radiate love out.
1: That's so true. You so beautifully wrote about it in in the book. What was the inspiration for writing Mutual Rescue, the book? Well, I've always
3: wanted to write a book related to animals, I don't know if you remember, I think it was back in the 90s when the Chicken Soup for the Soul Mm -hmm. series came out, and there was the book, you know, Chicken Soup for the Pet Lover's Soul. I have it. And I, yeah, (laughs) and I said, I want to write the 21st century version of that book. And, you know, in a sense, it has very, you know, it has those heartwarming stories just like Chicken Soup for the Pet Lover's Soul does, but it also has the science and the research, again, bringing head and heart together, that I think is the next evolution. So, when we had the success with the films, that really created the opportunity to start talking to publishers about the possibility of doing a book and, You know, after we released Eric and Petey, we had more success with other Mutual Rescue films. Josh and Scout was a a cat film that did amazingly well. Uh, And so with the success of the films, uh, we very fortunately, uh, Hachette, the Grand Central Publishing, uh, bought the rights to do the Mutual Rescue book, and away we went.
1: In the book, you and I just touched on this earlier, that scientific research it demonstrates that animals have a positive effect on people's mental and physical health. Can you just tell a little bit uh, more about that? Sure. So the American Heart Association
3: did a study asking doctors about pets and the role they play in health. And it was very interesting because the the um, what came back was that 60% of doctors prescribe pet adoption. And 97% believe that pet ownership provides health benefits, which is really rather staggering. And um, there's other research that points to how animals can actually reduce your, your stress levels. One study looked at people that were taking a word test. And what they did was they had three different segments to the test. One was a group of people that actually had their pets with them, another that had um, were asked to think about their pet, and then another group that was not given any instruction at all. And they were given these tricky word problems to solve. And what was so interesting was that those that either had their pets with them or were asked to think about their pet... Their heart rates stayed calm. They were more likely to see that test as a challenge rather than a threat. So their blood pressure stayed lower, their heart rate overall stayed lower, and they were just able to tackle the challenge in a more effective way. And, you know, you mentioned earlier at the start uh, of the program about secure bases and safe havens. And that is actually part of... um psychological theory. It's called attachment theory, which is that we as human beings have a basic need to have a secure base, which allows us to go confidently out in the world to meet our goals and to have a safe haven, which is a place where we have, we can find comfort and reassurance. And studies show that not only do people play that role for us, but animals can too. And that is really an amazing thing.
1: It is, and it's so important to have that out there because sometimes it's it's kind of hard for people who may not understand that to kind of get a grasp of it, and and in your book and also in your films, it's pretty well documented that it's, but it's a fact. <laughs> your books and film shows the power of community and the importance of the power in community. How could local shelters using Mutual Rescue films build relationships within their own communities?
3: Well, we happen to offer the Mutual Rescue films to local shelters or if anyone wants to do a community event to benefit a local shelter, we make the films available for offline events. So a number of groups across the country have already started to do this. They had a great event um, at the Foothills Animal Shelter this past summer where they brought together members of the community and experts that were addressing mental health issues and had a panel discussion about the role of pets and people and how they're related in helping mental health issues. They showed several of the mutual rescue films that were based on that. And what was so exciting was that at the end of the event... One of the public health officials from the county in that area said, I never realized or thought about the role that animals could help in our community to address issues of mental health. So just you know, getting that awareness and getting people to get that idea into their head and think differently and getting those conversations going within the local community I think is incredibly exciting and something that we want to help facilitate. So if you go to mutualrescue.org, our website has all the information about our films, about the book, about Doggy Day Out. But if you go to the Films tab, there's an area that says Film Festival. And if you click on that, it provides more information about getting uh, a, a program or an event uh, going in your particular area.
1: And people and, you know, individuals and organizations that are out there, it's really, it would really benefit. I, I, I think it, their wonderful videos in this book is phenomenal. So, you know, you you have the great films, you, you have this great book. What's next for Mutual Rescue? What are your plans in the future now?
3: Well, what we're ultimately hoping to do is secure national corporate sponsors so that we can bring more money into the sector to help advance the human-animal uh, connection and help provide more funding to advance animal rescue. So... Imagine, if you will, when you go to uh, Target and you are checking out, they ask you at the register if you'd like to round, round up to benefit Mutual Rescue. So we're actively looking at finding partners that will want to engage with us because essentially that's something that any one local shelter wouldn't be able to do on their own. But by creating a national initiative that's really focused on driving attention to the local level and this connection between humans and animals. We think we have a pretty compelling brand that uh, folks will want to
1: partner with us on. Absolutely. Now where can the listeners go to learn more about mutual rescue and the mutual rescue book? Yes, so mutualrescue.org
3: has all of our films, and right now we have a special pre-order offer going on for the book. So if you go to book.mutualrescue.org and pre-order the book before April 8th, there's a few things that people will get. The first thing is that 10% of the purchase price will go towards local shelters that have been selected by the story subjects. The second thing is that you will get access to the next four Mutual Rescue films before they're released. And the third thing is you'll get a free downloadable guide called 99 Ways to Bond with Your Pet.
1: Well, Carol, thank you so much for being our guest today. And thank you for being such an advocate for animal welfare and advocating the bond between humans and animals. I myself am someone who recovered from a life-altering accident and uh, that forever changed my life. I have a house full of rescue pets, but I had one that I brought in thinking that I was going to help her because she was healing from an amputation from cancer and she was an abuse case when in fact she really healed me. And that's Olive. She's my little co-host. So I I just want to quote something from your book because I loved your book. It touched me because I am living proof that they do save our lives. And you so eloquently stated this that pets with problems of their own make us feel less alone in our infirmity, show us how to unflinchingly face fragility and give us the opportunity to practice compassion towards our perfectly imperfect pets and ourselves. And I have to tell you that So much in the book meant so much to me, but I think this pretty much sums up my scenario and I'm sure that there's a number of other listeners out there that it sums up theirs. So for those of you who are looking to learn a little bit more about mutual rescue, to be inspired and to actually understand better um, the strong bond between animals and humans, please get the book. Mutual Rescue, How Adopting a Homeless Animal Can Save You Too by Carol Novello. And, Carol, again, I want to thank you for being our guest. It's, it's been wonderful having you back on the show.
3: Thank you so much, Susan. It was a delight.
1: Thank you, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hello, everyone. Miss Olive and Sophia the Doggy Diva are so happy that their first book in the Doggy Diva Diary series, Miss Olive Finds Her Fur-Ever Home, is now available at online book retailers. So please visit Miss Olive and Sophia at www thedoggydiva.com, that's D-O-G-G-Y-D-I-V-A, to order your copy now. And they hope that you love reading Miss Olive finds her forever home as much as they loved writing it. Thank you. We would like to thank our guests this week. And also, as our doggy Divas always say, Mm -mm. please love your pets because they love you unconditionally. And please remember to adopt, foster, spay, neuter, and microchip. And as always, please have a great diva week, everyone. That's
0: all for this episode of the Doggy Diva Show. To find out more, go to our website, thedoggydiva.com. Also, find us on our Facebook page, The Doggy Diva Show, and tell your fellow dog lovers about it. Don't miss Susan Marie, Miss Olive, and the Doggy Divas right here for the next episode. See you again soon.